Welcome to the Michael Smith Architect Podcast with your host, Michael Smith. Hi, and welcome to Michael Smith Architects Podcast, episode number four. And today we have a great show for you. I love when we get a chance to get uh, guests on the show. And this show, um, that's exactly what we have. We're, you know, I love sharing um, not only my knowledge, but the experience of other consultants and professionals and such. And that's what we have today. One important partner in the home remodeling or construction process is obviously the contractor. And that, that is who we have on the show today. We're going to be talking with several general contractors over the next several months. But today we have Mark Marshall from JM Construction. I actually interviewed him earlier, so I'm going to play the recording here in a bit. But before I start that and have Mark tell a little bit about himself and such, let's go through uh, what else is going to be on the show today. In addition to the interview, we're going to review what is happening with San Luis Obispo's uh, County's ADU ordinance, how that's proceeding and such. And we're going to be reviewing what is happening on a current project I'm working on. And this one is actually in Santa Barbara County. It is a duplex remodel. So I'll be talking a little bit about that. And then, of course, we're going to go over clients' questions. So that's the show for today. And let's start off with my interview with Mark Marshall from JM Construction. Hello, everyone. Uh, This is Mike Smith, and I am here with Mark Marshall from JM Construction, a contractor I've done a few projects with in San Luis Obispo. And uh, he has graciously allowed me some time to kind of ask him some questions about construction, and we're going to get into it. How are you doing, Mark? Doing really good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I'd just like to start off, let's start off really easy and, and tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your company. Okay, well, thank you. Um, yeah, we've been around for about four generations. Uh, my grandfather built the Pacific Palisades down in Southern California. And then my father was one of three contractors that were considered the builder to the stars back in the 80s. Um, we've been approached by nationwide companies to build, you know, a number of their restaurants nationwide. McDonald's is one of them. Uh, We've been asked to build factories in Germany um, and student housing projects in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, We have a huge array of experience in many types of projects. And based on our performance, our clients really trust us to do all of their building projects, regardless of where that is in the U.S. or in the world. Um, My father had me working in the trades Um, as a 12-year-old boy. I have a Bachelor of Science degree in Civil Engineering from USC. And I've taken graduate um, level studies in construction management, estimating and control um, at USC as well. We've been building in San Luis Obispo County since 1993. Um, And then prior to that, we were in the Los Angeles area for the three generations before me. Wow, that that is a breathtaking, the scope of work that you have there and experience. That's amazing. What would you tell homeowners about building today? Really quickly, I would say 
it's more expensive than you might think to build. Absolutely. Um, especially, especially in this area. Um, our building costs are, you know, roughly around 10 to 15% higher than most er most of the areas in Southern California. We can get projects done for cheaper down in Thousand Oaks per square foot than we can up here. Wow. Just a fact of the matter. Yeah. By about 10%. And 10 to 15. Okay. Is that because of how expensive it is here? Because we're a small community? Well, there's multiple factors, but one okay. being that most everything hits the point of entries in San Jose, San Francisco, or Los Angeles. Ah. And then they have to get trucked here. Okay. And so just like our gasoline, everything comes from the two major areas into this area. That's that's one of the main reasons. Number two, yes, it costs a lot more money to live here um, than it does in Southern California or outside of San Francisco. It's just that's the way it is. It's just just a lot more expensive to live here. So let's switch your focus for a little bit. Um, what's your biggest frustration working with architects? Well, I think you, you you touched on it on in an earlier question. Um, pretty much the lack of detail on the plans, and then you know, and then also the lack of coordination. Be you know, with all the mechanical, electrical, fi and fire designs, all their plans. And then you know, my other frustration too is that when we do this whole RFI, you know, the request for information process, you know, when we get the project, customers come to us and say that the architect is charging them more money for that process um, and therefore to not do it that much yeah. and find out the information. Yeah. And see, then then it leads to an additional frustration of us having to do constant change orders, you know, based on those RFIs, um, and then, which drives the clients nuts. And most of all these things that we're dealing with, the RFIs and the change orders, the majority of them would not be there if more time and detail was taken into the initial design phase. That's very helpful. Uh, thank you for that. Um, yeah, we. I mean, just to, I'll give you an example. We we did a we did projects in Pasadena, and um, this one architect that we worked for, uh, his plans were so detailed. He told us the exact location of every plug and switch on the wall and elevations. He told us exactly where every cold and water and waste spigot were to come out of the wall. The bid packages that came with it had the cut sheets to everything down to the type of switches, the type of lights, the, you name it, it had it to where when we bid the project, all of that was included to where the project was finished on time and on budget. And there was no questions we had asked the architect. It was amazing, but it was, there were costly plans, no doubt about that. So what technology are you using with homeowners during construction? Basically what I did is I, I, it's, I started, um, it started with my frustration of having multiple programs as a contractor, you know, on paper pads during the different construction trades and phases, um, and tracking all of that. And then there were so many details to every project that staying ahead of them was very frustrating, you know, because we'd have more than one project going at a time. And so I spent years trying, trying out different solutions and going through the frustrations of doing that. 
Um, and then after all of that trial and error, we landed on an encompassing solution that, that you know, is called Builder Trend. And they are considered the largest in the country with over 55,000 clients. Um, and, they, and they're in 30 different countries. Back in last year, in 2019, 20% of all construction in the United States went through their program. The biggest question I think contractors are missing in regards to technology is that clients, the clients that we are building for are much more tech savvy than ever before. They have instant access to their banks, investments, credit cards, sports scores, you name it. And they can control the temperature from their houses or check their cameras to see what's going on, you know, from their cell phone anywhere in the world. There are less and less people carrying wallets with checks or cash and credit cards. Yeah, now they just place their smartphone or smartwatch close to the register and pay. So why doesn't the construction process have the same level of access and information? That, you know, that's, that is, that's, that's a great a question. question. And to take it one step further is, and I, I don't know if the, the software is rolling back, but really it would be nice to have something that was like that for architects that can streamline through. But the, the trouble is you end up with, you know, AutoCAD being the, the gorilla in the room and they have their own system and they want you, the contractor, to use it. And it's probably not yeah. necessarily um, easy or as inclusive as I've seen with Builder Trend um, on it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that is really kind of lacking. And I, I don't think a lot of architects at the residential level are prepared to put the cost in for it, at least from what I've seen. And it's not, it hasn't been worth it uh, from my end. Let's look ahead a little bit. So what changes do you see in the future of home construction? I see a big emphasis now on healthy living, um, installing healthy systems in the houses. Uh. Um, in, yeah, integration with technology to help improve the quality of life at home. And I'm also seeing houses being reduced in size um, so that they can put in better finishes and those healthy living additions to their house. I'm, I was going to just chime in that, that that latter part of smaller houses, I'm really seeing it. I, my main market is probably uh, 35 to 65 range. And the upper range of that is is all the, the boomers and the tail end of that is they all want something that's single story number one and just a lot smaller, um, which I, I think is great that we're moving to that little higher densities and such so yeah you know and i also see more and more clients you know being digital digitally savvy you know like like i said before because we're getting into the millennials coming on board and you know they, i think they're at like 35 percent of the market now um on construction i can't i can't remember i just you know reading that report i can't remember the numbers but it's going to become harder and harder for old school contractors if they do not adopt the technology. True. You know, I mean, but if they could do it with fax machines and emails, you know, why not continue to evolve, you know? Exactly. And, um, you know, it, it's the integration of everything. They want, they want to be in the process. My clients, even older people, um, the older generation, which I know I'm a part of, they, they still want to be involved and, and want things to come to their smartphone and, 
and uh, not wait for drawings and such. So I have clients say, mm-hmm. hey, when you get a, when you get a set, just email it over to us so we can take a look at it. So it's no longer do we have meetings face to face. In fact, half of my clients are out of the area, and um, I do a go to meeting with them, and we're making changes mm-hmm. and reviewing designs over the over computer. So absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. I went to the International Builder Show in Vegas uh-huh. a couple weeks ago, and there's a lot of great new products that are coming on board. And, I mean, it was very exciting to see. You know, so we're going to see cool. some really amazing things be integrated into our homes um, to help both energy efficiency, healthy living, integration. I mean, it's really going to be it's pretty cool. Very, very cool. cool stuff. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So what challenges do you see homeowners face during the construction process? So I think for most homeowners, they just don't understand the construction process and the number of moving parts that it takes to build their house. You know, and I think the lack of that understanding leads to false expectations, which then leads to a bad experience with them. We try our best to educate our clients about the process. I know it helps some of them, but I, some still expect it to run like a manufacturing plant, you know, when all reality, it doesn't. That's interesting. So they get the impression that once the drawings are done, you streamline through and everything goes smoothly. Is that what you mean by manufacturing process? Yeah, like, you know, in a manufacturing plant, everything's controlled. Everybody's, yeah. you know, the employees all work for the one organization. You know, everything is set up in a, you know, in a manufacturing line. Um, it just works like clockwork. When it comes to construction and you've got all these subcontractors and trades, they've sure. got to have anywhere from 25 to 50 projects going at any one time. And so if one project has a delay, they have a problem with materials, they've got employee out sick or whatever it is, it delays their job before yours by one, two, three days, maybe a week. And clients, when they see the schedule that the stucco contractor say is supposed to start on Monday of the, on the first, and then they see the schedule get bumped a whole week, they start wondering why. And then they start questioning, well, don't you get priority? You know, and the answer is yes, but they're not going to stop the previous job that they're on to come here. And that happens more than one time throughout the project, you know, project. It really does. Yeah. So, you know, that, that is just, you know, on our schedules, we have this thing built in called Slack just for that whole, just for that to happen. But when they're looking at it, they don't, they're like, if you say it's supposed to happen that day, it's supposed to happen that day, you know, type thing. And they just don't quite, quite get all the moving parts. What can I do as an architect to start laying that foundation, that information to the homeowner? Because I'm always trying to make sure that I'm managing client expectations. And so if that is something come up, I see that as, okay, maybe there's some kind of report or something, a summary or a construction overview that kind of gives an example of how things work. First off, you're giving a a schedule. I -hmm. have worked with contractors that that don't, and so homeowners are completely in the dark on Mm -hmm. when people are supposed to show up. And I think 
sometimes contractors, fortunately not ones I've used recently, but have used that as a crutch to say, oh yeah, we had them planned for next week and that's their slack. And the homeowner is at the mercy of the general contractor telling But is there something yeah, that, see, that goes back architect to, to help out, you know, that education process? So before I answer that question, the reason why the contractors, you know, say they're going to be here next week is they're not showing the client a schedule and they don't have one. They're running, you know, running by the seat of their pants. They're not scheduling out. Um, And that's one thing that, you know, we do with builder trend is they go on and they're able to see the schedule. They're able to see, you know, they see it move, you know, as there's, you know, delays or product delays or weather, all those things, they actually see it. You know, that way we don't have that miscommunication of who's supposed to be here, why aren't they here, and, oh, they're supposed to be here for two weeks. And, you know, in our pre-meeting, that's what we talk about with clients, saying just because it might say they're supposed to start on Tuesday, they might call and say, hey, they had, you know, bad pour the day before, they got to take an extra day to fix it, but we're not going to adjust the schedule for that. You know, we're going to let them come and try and make up the extra time, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, But to answer your question on what you can do is, you know, when, when you talk to your clients, you know, just like, you know, when it comes to finances and everything else, if you tell them that the contractor you hire says that they're going to get the job done in nine months, tell them to tell the homeowners to plan for 12, but not tell the contractor that. That way they're not disappointed at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So that they can, you know, they, they understand that, hey, we've got to have some built-in time here so that if they do have to rent a house, so they do have to figure out what they're going to do living-wise during that process, they're planning for whatever is told them by their contractor initially, plus some margin, um, but they don't tell the contractor that. That would be my recommendation. Okay. I'm seeing some kind of, because I'm always trying to give as much information that they can, the homeowner can take away and look it over at their leisure. And I can mm-hmm. see that, you know, maybe some kind of free report on what to expect during construction and kind of outline some of the, you know, the normal challenges that happen. I mean, you get three weeks of rain. That is going to impact mm-hmm. your schedule and multiply that times all the other jobs that contractor and subcontractors have. It, it's going to delay you. And you have to... Yep. You know, if you're going to start in the winter, you have to make allowances for that. So, or even if you're going to, your building's going to go through the winter. True. You know, I mean, even if you start three months before and then, you know, winter, you're still going through winter. Yeah. True. Very true. This next question I know you are really good at coming through and doing some value engineering and such on projects because frequently, as I tell my clients, you know, it does take longer and it costs more than you think. And so, you know, we, we try to design as efficiently as possible and everyone wants to push their limit and then the price comes back and it's over budget and we need to kind of do some value engineering. But are there some things that how a, a homeowner can lower the cost of construction that you would suggest? Yeah, yeah. See, I'm a big proponent of the design build process about i don't know that fad was about 10 15 years ago you know it came out yeah you know and but frankly it wasn't done right um because i know most contractors around here they stopped doing it after about two to three years of trying it 
And we didn't jump on that bandwagon, even though we knew the benefits. So, I mean, if a client wants to go through the normal building process of hiring an architect and then a contractor, I would tell them to have the architect design their project to 65 to 70% of their actual budget. That way, they will not be surprised at the actual cost when they get the bids. And what I mean with that is if they tell you their budget is a million dollars and, you know, and you think that the, you know, and you say, okay, building costs are just $250 a square foot and you do the math backwards, you know, and you tell them that comes out to say 4,000 square foot house, I would actually tell them, hey, let's design a 3,000 square foot house for your budget. And then that way, you know, when you get the bids in, if it comes in, you know, over that amount and they're, you know, they've got about a good 25% or so margin in that just because the builder is not involved in the design to steer the design to stay within budget or close to budget they can. Does that make sense? I, absolutely. And that is actually <laughs> one of the, the things. Well, first off, I know exactly when they were doing the design build part because I went to an AIA convention um, and an attorney was talking about the benefits that architects could have by either starting a construction company or teaming up with a contractor. And I actually got a contractor's license with this gentleman coming out and helping me do it. But it, the, like when you talked about moving parts, all the moving parts, it, is, it just opened my eyes to all the things that a contractor does to keep a project moving smoothly. And I was ill-equipped and I said, you know, I'm not gonna do this. So I'm gonna bow out of that and, and let it go. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And now I actually work with trying to get the homeowner to hire the contractor during the schematic phase while we're making design decisions and such. And we've got someone who, as I always usually say, swinging the hammer. And they can mm-hmm. give, uh, give that experience of saying, hey, that detail is really expensive. We can do it this way and such. And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of getting them involved as much as possible. And I, I agree with you on the design build side. I think that's, that's the ultimate. If you want to save money and get as much out of your budget as you can, that's the way to go. Yeah, well, because, you know, I mean, so part of that is, you know, when the contractor, if it is design build, then the contractor is actually, you know, making money and contracted to spend time on plans and to be a part of the process. Yeah. Um, A lot. What I see is that, you know, we get hired and then but we're really not heavily involved in the design, you know, during that design process to where pretty much it comes to us in little bits and pieces and then it comes to us at the very end after it's designed and then we bid it out and it's still way higher than what it should be here what their budget is yeah you know so you know i mean that's where you know i i really if they really want to save a lot of money you know say they, they were to you know ten thousand dollars you know pay the con pay a contractor for 10 grand to be part of the design build or even a percentage of what the design is going to cost with you know the architect and all the specialty um designers then um you're getting a contractor that's really step by step throughout the process which can really steer it 
And, and, that, and it easily save you well over $10,000 exactly. because you're going to have that alone in redesign. Yes, know? exactly right. That's, I, I, I would say you can easily save three times that amount by having oh, yeah. a contractor working with the architect and reviewing and giving uh, their advice and such because I've, I've seen mm-hmm. that. So I, I absolutely agree with that. Let's move on to what mistakes do you see homeowners make during construction? On every single project, I would say. The biggest mistakes are those that lead to increased costs and construction delays. And, you know, basically they're making decisions without looking at the effects on the budget and the schedule. Yeah. And whenever there is a change that they want to do, that decision has to be made right away. Otherwise, there's even bigger delays. So customers that haven't done the pre-planning up front are pressured to make decisions without the time to look at the budget. And then also looking at the time that it's going to cost them. Because when it comes time to make a tile decision or some sort of finish decision, it's when the subcontractor or the employees are there to do the install or the week before that. And that is when, you know, they might change a tile that now takes three, four weeks to get. Yeah. Um, you know, that then you got a huge delay in the project sitting for two weeks. It's delaying those choices lead to so many delays in the project, you know, and that, that is, that is where I see them making the biggest mistakes that cost money. So if they pick everything out up front, the construction process is faster and you can stay on budget once you get out of the ground. If everything is picked out up front, once you get out of the dirt, there should be no changes at all. If the plans are detailed and everything's picked out. I agree. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. And I think I know the answer to this question based on what we've talked Mm -hmm. about already, but how would you uh, describe an ideal construction process? Yeah, so right. uh, no surprise. <laughs> no surprise. Yeah, yeah. The ideal, ideally, the design build process with a design team that consists of the contractor, architect, and interior designer all working together to make the client's dream become a reality. Basically, the owner hires a contractor, and the contractor hires the architect and interior designer. Contractor takes the owner owner's budget, looks at the site and the customer's desires, and comes up with a building size and type to stay within budget. The contractor and architect work together on the plans and design. The interior designer works with the clients on the finishes and runs multiple choices by the contractor for costs and budget constraints. All the finished details and choices go on the plans and in bid packages. Um, The contractor then gets multiple bids from subcontractors and suppliers. Plans go through plan check, the finishes get tweaked if necessary for budget purposes, and then we start building the house. So, you know, the, the architect inside of me, the, the, say the, the one that came out of school 30 years ago, is kind of roiling a little bit because would you say that most architects in this area would accept that role? Because you're saying, I'm... I'm contracting with the homeowner, and then I'm going to hire the architect. Yeah, so, so I, I totally get that. And see, that is why the design build process, when it was a fad, failed, because contractors were hiring draftsmen yeah. to do plans. Yes. And they were typically part-timers that had a couple contractors they were working for 
doing plans. And the plans obviously were not complete. Um, there was no coordination between, you know, the, the mechanical, all those specialty designers. And it failed because for many reasons. The purpose of design build is to where you have a highly detailed plan that is all the design and the detailing and everything is done, you know, with the contractor's eye, knowing what gets used in this area, you know, what is the least cost effective to give the clients what their uh, wishes are. And if the contractor honestly isn't driving the boat on this, in my opinion, then there's things that get missed. It's very, it's the contractor too. If the contractor is the one that hires the architect, guess what? Who does the owner go back on if the design's over budget or if the design is too big? True. They're not going to the architect, they're going to the contractor. And then who has to pay for the redesign? Is it the owner or the contractor? Okay. Yeah. I, I do, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, well, first off, the, I think you're absolutely right about why it failed in the beginning, because I think contractors looked at it as a way of saving money on the drawings and knowing, hey, we'll just work it out with the homeowner as we go, and realizing that not making decisions up front causes delays and cost overruns, and the homeowner and the contractors were just passing that on to the homeowner, and mm-hmm. everyone is upset. I really, I truly believe that the best, and whether it's called design, build, whatever it is, it is has to be a team approach. It's not mm-hmm. just the architect working independently with the homeowner for nine to 12 or 24 months, however long it takes, and then it, it moves over to the contractor um, and an interior designer. It's all three working together simultaneously. So when you're sitting down at, at maybe the second or third meeting, you have the interior designer who's offering an opinion about spaces and, and material choices and contractors coming in and saying, okay, that's great, but here's your budget. And if you want to keep, keep to it, these choices have to be made and they have to be cut. And having those three poles gives I me mean, the homeowner might look at it as, oh that's costing me so much money with two other you know with the architect and an interior designer but ultimately it will save people money because we're getting things done at the proper time and getting those proper checks yeah so yeah correct and so did you know that the most successful design build contractors actually have interior designers and architects on staff I, I didn't know that was the most successful, but I've yeah, I have been around seen a long time. Firms that have had that, and and they're architects. Yeah, yep. They're not draftsmen. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of a draftsman, you know, and yeah, that's I why know. I never recommend draftsmen. But when it comes to yeah, design build or you know, if, if it's going to be a team approach, there's always got to be someone driving the bus. And I know with architects, you know, just like contractors, we have a lot of big egos. And yes, like you said, there's a lot of architects that don't want to, you know, be, you know, hired or an employee of a contractor. It, no doubt. Yeah, they about don't that. want to see like they're subservient. But you know, if yeah. you put your ego in the drawer. In the drawer, I would much mm-hmm. rather have a project where we pushed the limits and met the vision of the homeowner 
he was he or she was completely happy with the space and goes and raves to all their friends who then come to us. Mm-hmm. And so, totally, think, absolutely. you know, we just have to, I think, get over ourselves and mm-hmm. put the egos down and, and just focus on doing great design and great value for the homeowner. They're the ones spending yep. four, five, eight hundred thousand dollars it's absolutely yeah so we did we did three spec homes for a guy in oak shores i mean not oak Shores. sorry heritage ranch and those three spec homes we hired the architect and the uh, interior designer and for this firm Wait, out did of i LA. miss those and we did Wait a minute. did i did i miss um, them? yeah you were yeah we didn't know you then didn't know you then it was unfortunate we would have loved to have done those with you um but so we drove these plans okay um and so when you walked into these houses, the realtors were like, "This, there's no way this is a spec home. There, the, there was three different types of cabinets. There was four different types of countertops. Uh, there was, you know, the flooring was, you know, there was no vinyl. It was hardwood floors, tile floors, um, carpet. I mean, and there was, there was some they were so unique, even though they were the same floor plan at three different locations. The front was, they were, they were done $25 per square foot cheaper than any builder in that area. And they were more custom. So it totally stood out, but we were the ones driving the design and the size and where they wanted to fit in, in their budget. And so they were able to make more money you know, and we were able to give them a better project for less, you know, than it would have been the other way around. Yeah. You know, so that's just, you know, just a little thing. I, I agree. You have to have the contractor involved because that's the person who ultimately is going to do mm-hmm. the work and they're going to determine what the price is. So to yep. not bring that person in is just foolish. So, Correct. okay. All right. Well, now, Thank you. That was that was a great discussion. So just two more questions for you. What changes do you see or have you seen or do you see ahead with the new California Energy Code that we just that just started in 2020? Well, with me, you know, my my degree has an emphasis in building science. Uh, when I was at USC, we were actually doing the testing on products that actually led to the LEED certification requirements. Okay. Um, and so I've always recommended to our clients energy saving measures in the building process as upgrades. Um, like for an example, I saw the huge benefit of the spray and foam and walls and the roofs. Okay. Um, so much so that I almost bought and became a, an icing dealer. If huh. the truck wasn't so expensive, I would have done that. But, but that is, that is the biggest and the best upgrade that anybody could do over bat insulation. And that's one thing that we did. It's getting to become more and more of a requirement. Yeah. Um, you know, but the good thing about the code I see is that it's going to make these houses healthier and then it's going to be much more energy efficient for the client. Yep. The challenge is, is that it's going, there's going to be now forced increased costs, which will then force us to smaller houses to account for these additional costs. True. And I'm never a proponent of, you know, a lot of forced change. 
exactly. when it yeah. leads to greater costs. Like for instance, we used to do bamboo floors before they were LEED certified. Mm-hmm. And bamboo floors were a quarter of the cost of um, oak floors. The minute they got their LEED certification and became a quote green product, their price went up 25% higher than oak floors. And you know, and I'm sitting there going, why? Nothing changed in the product except you have now these great certifications. Yeah. You know. Sure. And it's those type of things that drive me nuts on the forced energy changing type stuff. Yeah. So Okay. I'm afraid solar is gonna go up, to be honest with you, now that it's a requirement. Because before it wasn't a requirement, people did it to offset their costs. Now that it's a requirement, my concern is is that everybody's uh, gonna raise their costs because now they it has to be installed. They don't have a choice. Exactly. Oh, that's very true. So if there's not competition out there for solar panel providers, then they have a lock on the market and they say, okay, we know you need to have solar panels um, and such. But there's still some some gray areas with that on the new houses because what happens when you are supposed to have solar panels, but you're on a site full of trees? And you can never have sun on it, or it's a very limited, you know, are we really going to require homeowners to spend the money on solar when they only have sunlight on the panels for an hour or so? And it's not going to be, you know, you can't even justify the cost on that. I don't know. I, I haven't, you know, we've got a couple custom houses that are coming up that we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. Well, I think it's a, you know, I think they're going to require it regardless because they do for stormwater, on-site stormwater detention basins. You could be building on a rock mountain where you got to, you know, dynamite through the rock just to be able to build your house. And they're still going to require you to try and keep all your stormwater on site where it will not perk into rock. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. All right, Mark. Well, I've kept you so long, but I got one last question for you. Okay. Um, so what other challenges do you see in construction? So the biggest challenge that I see, and it's the one that hits the project right up front, um, and that's why I always say getting out of the ground is the hardest and the most expensive and the most where there's the most unknowns, and that is site work. Um, huge costs we now have to incur on importing and exporting materials, and they're rising so fast, and it's because these subcontractors have to upgrade all of their vehicles to the new diesel engine requirement. I see the, yeah, I see the grading costs going up for the same reason, just because they have to upgrade their equipment that is being used to push dirt. The on-site stormwater retention systems are another one. Uh, they're causing a ton of additional requirements to foundations um, due to the soil types, you know, because these the soil types if they have the strata, water is percolating horizontally. And if the building is below this or retaining walls below this, then we're going to have horizontal water flow that's now going to saturate the footings. And so now we actually have to go in when we encounter this and use an engineered geogrid system to stabilize the soil for when this water percolates subterraneanly, you know, through because of these on-site water retention basins that don't perk down into the water table, which is what the whole state is expecting. Yeah, this one-size-fits-all requirement from the state is not helping. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for giving me so much time. And I, I love the answers. And I certainly hope our audience uh, with homeowners out there uh, realize the valuable information that you just uh, imparted. 
and such. Thank you. And so I, I thank you for that. And I thank you uh, for listening. And uh, we will continue on with our podcast. Well, that was a great interview. I really want to thank Mark for taking time out of his busy schedule to sit down with me and, and answer some of my questions. And I hope that was helpful to you to, to get the perspective of another person, especially a general contractor, that uh, his perspective on the design and the construction of various homes and such. So, as always, if you have any questions, please drop me an email at mike at michaelsmitharchitect.com and I'll be happy to answer them. If they're for Mark, uh, we can certainly pass them on to him also. So, let's go on to our next segment. And the title of this one I'm going to call Current Events in Design. And I mentioned earlier at the top of the show that I was going to review what is happening with San Luis Obispo County's uh, ADU ordinance. And actually, not much has happened. We're still waiting for the final approval. And the website is still saying that it's anticipated to be at the end of February. But I haven't heard uh, if the vote has gone through and if we're in the process of getting the paperwork and such. But we're still in the, the area in between where the county is accepting any plans that are submitted for permit uh, now will be governed under state law, which is a little, um, little less restrictive than what is currently being proposed on San Luis Obispo County's uh, ordinance. So all I would say is if you're interested in knowing where it is, because I'm, I'm sure it's not going to change too much, but I do have a link in the show notes where you can get my summary of the ADU process and what, based on the draft ordinance, what is going to be acceptable once San Luis Obispo County has adopted their new ordinance. Um, so check out the show notes for that and you can sign up for it. With that, we'll go on to the next segment, uh, which I'm calling My Project's Experience. And it's a part of the show where we're going to, I'm just going to talk about what is current, uh, current project we are working on, and hopefully just give you an idea of the, some of the challenges that we go through and what to expect when I am working on your project and such. So this particular project is in Santa Barbara County. It's a duplex that our client wants to remodel. And we're really at the starting point. So I, I just want to kind of give you a, an idea of what happens after the agreement has been signed and we've gotten all the, the legalities and things out of the way. You know, the agreement signed and, and the deposit has been done and, and such. So the next thing that we do, especially when it has an existing structure involved, we will survey that existing structure. Um, so the project that we're I'm going to talk to you about is a remodel and it adding on to an existing duplex in Santa Barbara County. What is interesting about this is the duplex was actually damaged in a fire uh, about 11 months ago. 
So not much of the building needs to be torn down. The fire was localized on the lower level. Uh, there is some structural damage that we're going to have to remove and replace um, during the course of it, but certainly not enough that we need to worry about ripping down the entire structure. We're just going to re repair and replace the elements. Uh, the owner of the property, though, wants to take advantage of this work while the structure is empty to make some improvements on the property and also to add an additional uh, living unit. So turning this existing duplex into a triplex. So we started the project uh, like we do most projects and that's measuring the existing structure. My team went out and documented the existing building so that we can model the existing structure in the computer. And what that means literally is we're going to go out and measure every single part of that uh, existing building. Not only where walls are, but its relationship to property lines, height of uh, ceiling heights and such every part of it that we can so we can reproduce it as a model, as a 3D model in our uh, CAD program. So my team will spend several hours sketching, measuring, and photographing the structure to do that. And that's exactly what my uh, team did last week. And now they've brought that uh, back into the office and we will start developing that existing model uh, on the computer. Once that is done, then we'll start doing the design, um, the changes that are going to happen within the structure, and then adding on to uh, adding that third unit onto the existing building. So that's just a a brief description of how we start a project and such. And as we go through that particular project, I'll be revisiting that and letting you know what has happened on it and such, and what challenges that come up. Because challenges come up every project, and it's always nice to, uh, I, I want to share that so when you go through your own process, you realize what to maybe look out for and, and help you be better prepared for it. So let's go move on to the next section of our show, and that's client questions. I will invite the, you, if you do have any questions, drop me an email at mike at michaelsmitharchitect.com because if you have a question I'm sure there's many others out there that uh, have a question also and they just didn't want to email me on it so uh, I always love to answer them so please uh, pass it along or email me so on this particular one I'm going to go over a question that I get almost every time from clients when we sit down and they usually start, you know, they want to know how to start. I'm asked just, like I said, just about every time. It usually sounds something like this. Um, we've never worked with an architect before, so we're not sure how this process, all this process works. And that is a, that's a typical question. And why would you know? Unless you've done a home remodeling project with an architect, you don't know what's what you're in store for. So um, I like to spend about 10, 20 minutes during our initial meeting with my clients just explaining, um, describing our process, how we work with the client, um, how we'll work together to achieve the vision that 
they have in their head. I mean, they've been living in this home sometimes for many years, and they're now wanting to update it. And they have very clear ideas of how they want to the house to function and such. And so that initial meeting, I'm getting to know you as a person, how you and your family use the home and such. And that's, that's the first thing that we'll go over is developing, pulling out that vision that you have in your head that will help me develop uh, a scope of work. So the getting all the questions out in the open before we dive too deep into the process, that's really the first step. That's what you're going to do. So you're going to bring your ideas um, to the first meeting with me as your architect. And then as we go through and answer your questions, more questions are going to come up. It's still hard to walk into an architect's office cold, even with the knowledge that I'm telling you here. So I created a report that I'd like to offer to you. And this report is titled, Why Almost Every DIY Show is Wrong About Home Remodeling. And it will walk you through the step-by-step process of the initial process of home remodeling or new construction. So I've added a link in the show notes so you can get your free copy. Just go to my website, michaelsmitharchitect.com forward slash free dash report. And you will get that report and it'll help you with that. So that is our show this week. Uh, Looking ahead, we're going to be, as always, looking at current topics affecting home remodeling market. And we're going to continue to stay on top of the ADU ordinance that San Luis Obispo County is getting ready to approve. And we'll also be taking a look at another project and such and always answering your questions. So I thank you very much for for listening, and please feel free to connect with me on social media. On Instagram, you'll find me at mdsarch. You'll also find the show at msa-architectpodcast. Um, and then on Facebook, you Michael Smith Architect, and then on Twitter is mdsarch. So until next time, two weeks. I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for a new episode coming soon.